Welcome to the Horses Equine Innovators Podcast, sponsored by Zoetis Animal Health. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Everyday researchers at universities and other institutions around the world are investigating new ways to care for and understand our horses. In this podcast series, we'll be talking to those innovators to learn more about their work. Today, our guest is Dr. Amanda Adams. Dr. Adams is an associate professor at the University of Kentucky's Gluck Equine Research Center. She's authored more than 25 peer-reviewed scientific publications and presented her research at more than 40 national and international scientific meetings. Her research interests include the geriatric horse's immune system, adiposity's effect on horses' inflammatory responses, particularly in equine metabolic syndrome horses, and the mechanisms responsible for the pathways involved in EMS to identify potential treatments that target both the inflammatory and metabolic component of the disease. And so with all that, it's a, it's a, a long, long uh, biography to say that she works with old horses. Dr. Adams, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be joining you. I always love talking about the older horse, so yep. looking forward to it. So do we. So do we. Before we jump into our interview, we have a message from our sponsor. Keep your horse healthy this fall with Quest Plus Gel from Zoetis, the only dewormer that treats adult horses for both the adult and insisted forms of small strongyles, as well as tapeworms and more in a single dose. Tapeworms can pose a serious risk to horse health, and treatment is recommended by the AAP in late fall and early winter every year. Learn more at questhorse.com. Do not use Quest Gel or Quest Plus Gel in foals less than six months of age or in sick, debilitated, and underweight horses. Do not use another animal species as severe adverse reactions, including fatalities in dogs, may result. So with our bit of housekeeping done, we can go ahead and jump into our questions. So Dr. Adams, first off, can you tell us how you got interested in studying senior horses and aging in our horses? Sure. So horses have always been a part of my life, born and raised with quarter horses. But really, the study of the senior horse and the aging process came about whenever I joined the Gluck Center many years ago to get my PhD. Um, and so my PhD focus was the geriatric horse and um, studying the immune system of, of the aging horse. And so I carried on that work into developing my own research program here uh, at the Gluck Center. So it sort so, of was a natural transition. So when we're talking about a senior horse or an older horse, what age range are age range are we referring to? Is there a definition for senior horse? Um, typically, we're talking about 15 years and older for the senior horse. When we refer to them as geriatric, we're typically talking about them being over 20 years of age. So 15 years of age for senior is really what we go by. And it is kind of difficult to put a number on that, but. And how many horses are we talking about? So there's about 20 to 30% of our U.S. horse population over the age of 15. Yeah. And it's so. so quite a Quite a big number. So looking back at breeding trends, I think 2003 for the AQHA, and I, I might not be exactly right, but I have a 2003 model, and I seem to remember that that was 
one of the largest populations registered by the American Quarter Horse Association. Do we see a trend in these older horses due to that, uh, those numbers of horses that were registered before the Great Recession when we saw a contraction of horse breeding? I would say so, and they're living longer because of better health care and what we're doing to, to extend their lifespan. So, yeah. And because of, of the research you guys are doing there over uh, at, at the Gluck yeah. Center. Uh, I've, I've been to University of Kentucky's um, farm and I've seen this research heard. Can you tell us a little bit about the horses that help you with your work? Yeah, so we have about 40 senior horses over the age of 15. I think our average age now is pushing around 26. <clears throat> and within the senior horse population that we have, we have seniors that are what we call healthy aging <laughs> or are free of endocrine disease. And then we have some that have pituitary pars intermediate dysfunction or PPID. Um, and then we have a smaller herd, about 20 of equine metabolic syndrome horses that we maintain. So how do you find those horses to enter your herd? Um, we, so the university here has had a longstanding uh, broodmare herd. And so as the broodmares get older, they will come to, to my herd and um, so we get horses that way or we get them through donations. Um, and we sometimes put out special calls that we're looking for specifically PPID horses or EMS horses. So in fact, you all have helped us put out some of those calls to find donations. And so you're there in the heart of thoroughbred country. Are they mostly thoroughbreds or do you have different breeds we, in the herd? Uh, we have mixed breeds. So we have, you know, Kentucky Mountain, Kentucky Mountains, Tennessee Walkers, um, a few quarter horses, and then yeah, majority thoroughbred in the so, senior horse population. So you mentioned that uh, quite a bit of your work focuses around PPID and metabolic syndrome. Why are those conditions important for us to understand and have treatments for? I think one of the key, you know, factors when a horse has PPID or EMS in particularly, or both, um, is we're always worried and looking for laminitis. Um, laminitis is the big, you know, unfortunate factor that comes along with having equine metabolic syndrome and oftentimes PPID, that those PPID horses that are insulin resistant. So. Laminitis is a big issue for this group of horses, so I think that's um, what owners should be looking out for. But I think backing up would be to know the endocrine status of your senior horse. So you need to properly diagnose if your horse is PPID or EMS um, and focus on insulin, which will help you uh, help us know how to feed these horses so that we can, you know, manage them properly so that laminitis does not occur. Um, so work, working with your veterinarian for a proper diagnostic workup and for PPID and EMS, I think is really important. It seems like horses are getting diagnosed earlier and earlier with um, both of these conditions. 
is it because we're getting smarter about the clinical signs to look for in our horses um, and doing that testing early on, or has there been a different shift in our equine population? Um, no, I think we're getting better at diagnosing, um, but I think we all need to keep in mind the clinical features that go along with the actual lab values that come back and not just relying on the lab values um, for for PPID and EMS diagnostics, but also, you know, the clinical features of those diseases as well. But yes, I think we're getting better. We're more, owners are more aware of the diseases. And again, as the horse population ages, these diseases kind of come along with that. So with PPID and EMS, which are two different conditions, um, what clinical signs should owners be looking for that should indicate to them that it's time to go ahead and get some diagno diagnostics done? Um, so for PPID, you might notice the horse becomes a little more lethargic, um, delayed in shedding out their winter coat, and their winter coat might become quite excessive, um, and, you know, loss of muscle mass in these PPID horses, you might see some adiposity, um, localized adiposity, you know, crusty neck and kind of some fat depots, depots on the rump as well. Um, you might notice that they drink more water. Um, and for the equine metabolic syndrome horse, we're looking at um, definitely increased adiposity, crusty neck, um, and they might be looking again a little lethargic, slowing down, maybe showing sign, signs of subtle, you know, lameness. Um, but yeah, those are probably some of the key features you look out for. So we're we're headed towards winter as we're recording this. Uh, in fact, here in Central Oregon, where I live, we were 12 degrees Fahrenheit this morning, which was really cold coming off of a, a really nice fall uh, with a little bit warmer weather. For me, I have I have two senior horses, and uh, controlling their weight is really important to me. And I, going into winter, I always want them to have a little bit more weight on them, but it's a fine balance because both of them are also easy keepers. Um, can you tell us about body condition scoring and how that applies yeah. to managing our older horses? Sure, so body condition scoring is a numerical scale from one to nine where we evaluate basically the fat um, on the horse's body. And we know that increased adiposity is a key feature of a horse developing equine metabolic syndrome, insulin dysregulation, and then, you know, ultimately laminitis. So it really is an important tool to use to monitor these horses over time so that they don't get too crusty and too um, fat uh, throughout the winter or any of the seasons um, so that you're, you're helping keep the fat mass uh, lower in these animals with body condition scoring. I always tell owners, too, to take pictures of their horses throughout the year, and that kind of helps with the body condition scoring of them as well. So my one guy, he's 17 this year. He's my 2003 model that I bred and I raised him. Um, and he's always was more of a, a hard keeper. 
a um, little harder to keep weight on him, especially in, in the winter. Um, this last year when I took him for his annual exam, uh, my vet puts him on a scale and weighs them. And she had noted that he uh, had um, had some fat deposits, seemed heavier than um, when she body scored him. It was higher than what it had been in previous years. But when I looked at the actual scale number um, and talked to her about it, he had only changed weight, maybe 20 pounds. Um, so we're suspecting there's some kind of change going on with him. Is is it true that a horse can stay the same weight or close to the same weight and have a different body score condition as they age? Yeah, I think so. I think basically the fat mass changes in the animal as they age. Um, you see, you know, more accumulation in the neck of fat and on the rump um, with age in these horses. So yeah, I would say that it is it is a, a mechanism that happens with, with aging. So often with our older horses, if they're having a hard time keeping weight on, the first place we start is their their dentition and, and having a dental exam. Um, what problems can horses have with their teeth as they age and, and why is this such a concern for our older horses? Um, well, I'm not a dentist, so I can't speak to the dentation itself, but um, being unable to chew forage, you know, is a, is a huge problem, can be in the senior horses. And that's when we, you need to turn to a complete feed for senior horses, which basically has all the forage in it that a horse would need to consume that is unable to consume, um, you know, long stem forage. So complete, that's why complete feeds were developed. Um, and to sustain that older horse with dentition problems um, that cannot chew long stem forage. So I would turn to nutrition for sure in that area. So if if we're turning to nutrition and our horses are having a harder time chewing, um, you know, we will modify their diets because of that. But are there other reasons to have a different nutrition program for your senior horse versus maybe your uh, mature adult or a young horse? I mean, that's a good question um, in terms of do they need different vitamins and minerals as they age? We really don't know that. Um, do they need different protein levels as they age? You know, there's a, there's a decline in muscle mass as they age. If we feed them more protein, does that help? We really don't know that. We are, we are currently working in that area uh, of research to, to determine if, if that is the case. But I think you need to feed your older horse based on body condition. So if they need more calories, you need to give them more calories in a in a basically palatable feed source that they can consume. But if they don't need more calories, then you need to back off of of the the feed and go for an all forage diet and and feed a balancer pellet. So I think you feed. You feed based on body condition score of these older animals, I think is critical and really based on the endocrine status of these animals, because if they're insulin dysregulated, you know, that changes the ball game for how these horses are fed um, and managed. So. 
it's really important to know, you know, based on blood work and clinical signs, you need to know whether or not your older horse is PPID or EMS or maybe both, because it really does help, um, especially if you're working with a nutritionist on how to feed the horse. So beyond nutrition and making sure their teeth are, are in good order, what other challenges do older horses face that owners need to be aware of? Um, definitely keeping in mind that their immune function uh, declines with age, just as ours does. And so making sure they are maintained on a vaccination schedule is really, really important. Um, Unfortunately, too, they have a reduced immune response to vaccination. Uh, they still respond to vaccination, but just not as robust as a younger animal would respond to vaccination. So that's even more of a reason to keep them on a proper vaccination schedule. And, you know, biosecurity, you know, making sure, you know, being a little more cautious with your biosecurity around your older horse as well. Um, no, knowing that their immune system is just not functioning like a normal younger animal's immune system is. So I know so with keeping a, that in mind. Yeah. Uh, with, with a lot of older horses, we, we stop taking them as many places. You know, they they retire. They aren't going to the horse shows. They aren't going out on the trail rides so much. They're staying at home. And I I think there's a tendency for us horse owners to back off those vaccination schedules? Because, oh, well, they aren't getting exposed. They aren't out there. Um, what advice do you have to horse owners who might be leaning that direction and not vaccinating so much? Well, two scenarios. If you don't have any incoming horses that join the older horse, then maybe, yeah, you could back off of vaccination. But really, I mean, vaccination is cheaper than disease. So, maintaining them, still maintaining them on a vaccination schedule really is key. And I would promote that over not vaccinating. But especially if you're bringing in animals onto your farm that might be joining the herd with your older animals, that is that is a reason for vaccinating those older animals that stay on the farm. And I know from the work that we do at thehorseandthehorse.com because we track outbreaks as they occur. And beyond the horse-to-horse -horse exposure type diseases like um, equine herpes virus, uh, we see in older horses um, a lot of cases of uh, vector-borne diseases like uh, triple E or West Nile virus. Uh, are, are the horses more susceptible to those as they get older, or do you think that that's owners backing off on vaccines? Uh, that's a good question. We don't really have the science behind it to answer that, um, but I would say that it's maybe a combination that they have a reduced immune response to the to the virus, and then um, if they're not maintained on a proper vaccination schedule, it's sort of a double whammy, not good. So if they're more susceptible to disease, are they also more susceptible to internal parasites? Yeah, so we did a study a couple years ago with our parasitologist here and found that our older horses had higher fecal egg counts when compared to younger horses. Now, keeping in mind, that's our herd of horses. So I do sort of preach to, to owners to, you know, keep up with your fecal egg counts or deworming schedule in these older horses as well. 
for uh, one of my older guys who's in his 20s, uh, hoof care has become a challenge for him uh, because he's so stiff and arthritic and it's hard for him to, to hold his leg up and have it flexed. Um, he's always been a really good boy. So, you know, when you pick up his feet and he stomps them down that he, he's not being, um, he's not being a jerk. <laughs> he actually must yeah. hurt. Yeah. Do you, do you have any recommendations? Cause I think for me, that's my biggest challenge with that horse. And I think uh, as we get to end of life decisions, that's probably gonna, going to be the catalyst to that. Um, but what, what recommendations yeah. do you have for owners like me with horses that are struggling with well, care? I struggle with that as well. I have a, my own 33 year old, that same problem um, occurs and we're fortunate to be in the heart of Kentucky and work with podiatrists that can actually use just some mild sedation um, that really kind of helps the older horse get through the trim. Um, but other than that, you know, if you think maybe some butte, you know, NSAIDs a little bit before or after may help, but then, you know, there's problems that come with that as well. So I, there's not a good answer. Um, there really isn't a good answer for that. I struggle too. Yeah, I think a lot of patience on on the part of the farrier or the trimmer yeah. is one piece of it. So, um, yeah. So I mentioned that end of life decision, um, and that's something that that has been weighing on me. Do you have any recommendations for signs that that it is time to start having that conversation with your vet with your veterinarian? Yeah, so it's definitely an emotional decision, and I think you kind of have to set your emotions to the side um, and really evaluate the horse because, you know, the horse can sometimes tell you they're ready, but oftentimes not. Um, and so obvious reasons, you know, chronic pain, um, injuries, illness, laminitis, weight loss, where we can't keep the weight on them, especially going into winter is a, is a big reason um, as well. Um, but yeah, I would say lameness, you know, would be in there as well. I think I said lameness, but yeah, there's a slew of factors then. And, and working with your veterinarian and, and you know your horse best and talking it through with the veterinarian, um, I think would make the decision a little bit easier. Okay. So, um, I don't want to end on euthanasia because it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> so, so before yeah. we... <laughs> Before we close, I want to ask you about your current research projects. Is there anything you can tell us or any sneak peeks? I know a lot of it stays under wraps until it's published, um, but are there any tidbits that sure. you could give us? Um, so we are really working on how do we properly feed and manage the equine metabolic syndrome horse because we really don't have that information out there. We say feed them low starch and sugar, but we really don't know what per at what percentage should we be feeding and how much should we be feeding. So we're working in that area to develop some, some new feeds that are safe, quote unquote, safe for these um, equine metabolic syndrome horses so that laminitis does not develop in these horses. So you can manage them by nutrition uh, and um, so that's an area that I think is really exciting and will be coming out soon. Um, we just wrapped up an interesting study where we put blue light masks on our PPID horses to extend day length to see if it would change 
basically the shedding patterns of these horses. And the results are still kind of coming off from that study, but I think that that'll be an interesting study to see where that goes as maybe an adjunct treatment for these PPID horses um, that have, you know, uh, severe hirsutism and um, hypertrichosis, I mean, and um, could be a way to, to, to manage that using the blue light uh, masks. So interesting okay. little study, side yeah. study, but... Um, yeah. So that that is interesting. So for our listeners who may not be aware of how light influences hair loss and, and our horses have, when they put on their bring on their summer coat versus bringing on their, their winter coat. How does light affect the horses and, and why might that be a solution for, for PPID horses that are extra hairy? Well, we don't know the exact link between it all, but melatonin, you know, drives the change in, um, or is driven by the change in day length. So we do believe melatonin plays a role in basically um, hair hair growth and, and shedding and, and delayed shedding, but we're not really, the mechanism behind that is really not known, to be honest. So we thought we'd kind of put it to the test to see if actually modifying melatonin with changing day length changes hair coat. So kind of trying to get to the bottom of, of, of the mechanisms behind that. That's really interesting. Um, you also had mentioned to me a, a survey that you're working on. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yes, we are. We we just launched a survey, and I believe um, I believe it'll be on thehorse.com or should already be maybe blasted out through you all. Um, it's a it's a survey. We want to know more about your older horse. And how you manage your older horse, how you feed your older horse, problems with your older horse. We just want to learn more about the U.S. population of older horses. And so it'll take about 15 or 20 minutes to fill out the survey. And there is some prizes uh, that will go along with you filling out the survey if you're chosen. But I think it's going to be a good um foundation for for at least us to know you know some areas of research that maybe need to be worked on based on the survey and just knowing you know what the problems are out there in the real world um, for these older horses so really excited about that the survey I just want to say is in collaboration with um, Texas A&M Dr. Michelle Coleman so it's a joint venture um, we're hoping to get some respondents from the West Coast and from the East Coast and the Midwest would be great. And is there a website that horse owners can go to to fill that survey out? There, um, there is, but I don't know what the URL is. I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but I would say if we haven't already, we should probably get it launched through you, uh, thehorse.com. I'm not sure how it went out, but if you probably Google the Gluck Center, it I believe we have it on our news release. There's a link there. Okay. Um, and I I will uh, make sure that we have that up on thehorse.com. And if anyone's listening and wants to fill that out, uh, you can search uh, for Gluck Old Horse Survey, and you should be able to find that on, on thehorse.com uh, and fill that out. And is there a closing date for that? Because this, this podcast will live for a while, so people might be listening in the future after that survey is done. 
Um, yeah, we're we're looking to get 3,000 responses thus far. I think we have around a thousand. So um, probably hope probably by the end of the year. Okay. We hope to achieve that goal. Well, that's all the time that we have for today's uh, equine innovators. I want to thank you, Dr. Adams, for joining us. So it's really fun to talk about these old horses that we all care so much about. No, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Please join us next time for Equine Innovators brought to you by The Horse and Zoetis.